Good evening. I want to welcome you to our 2021 version of our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we will pick it up from where we left off last time, which is we are in the book of Romans in chapter 5. I uh, trust that uh, uh, the new year is going well for you so far. Uh, it's already been filled with a few surprises and various things, but uh, nonetheless, we'll trudge on and continue to live for the Lord and seek to serve Him. So let's pray, and then we'll get uh, right into the Word. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace in our life and the fact that we can trust you, that you're always with us, that you're always intervening in our lives, that you're always working through history to work out your plan. Father, we trust you. Uh, we know, Lord, that you are trustworthy, that your plans are trustworthy, that uh, man will always fail us. And we ask, Lord, that you would guide and direct us in your word this evening, that as we continue our study in the book of Romans, that, Father, you would help us to have... Uh, to have comprehension, to have understanding, insight into not only what your word means, but Father, how it applies to our lives so that we may better understand you, better understand ourselves, better understand how it is you would have us to live. We ask, Lord, that we would be strengthened by your word, that Father would be encouraged by your word. We thank you in particular for the book of Romans. Uh, what, a, what a great blessing that book has been to Christians throughout the ages. And so, Father, we ask for your blessing on that as we continue our study. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're in Romans chapter 5. So uh, we're looking at, in particular, verse 3. But I'm going to go ahead and begin reading from verse 1. Uh, kind of catch us up just a little bit as to where we're at in the book of Romans and what Paul is talking about. And then we'll kind of, you know, pick it up from there. So Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. It reads, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been uh, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So Paul has been dealing with really the doctrine of justification. He's been talking about how it is that we are saved, what God has done for us. And so he then says in verse 1, he says, Therefore, and it is based on all these things that I've given you, based on this truth, again, we have been justified by faith. Remember, it's not by works. We've not done anything to earn it. Uh, we've been declared righteous by God. Uh, we've been given the righteousness of Christ. God's righteousness has been given to us. Uh, and then as a result of that, we are viewed as being righteous. Again, not a righteousness that we've, we have produced, but a righteousness that has been given to us. And this has, again, uh, been acquired by faith, by simply believing and trusting in what God has said. Along with that, we've seen that because we are justified, we have peace with God. And we, we talked about the various aspects of that. Uh, but we are at peace with God. We're no longer the enemy of God because our sin and our rebellion has been taken care of. And again, he reminds us that, that this is through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is through the person and the work, the sacrifice uh, of Jesus himself that this is true about us. And also, it is through Jesus that we have obtained access into God's grace. So 
we are the recipients of God's grace or God's goodness at salvation. But there is also an element or an aspect of God's grace that is available to us, I guess you would say, for everyday living. Each day, we are able to access God's grace or God's goodness. What that means more practically is uh, I have access, I, I can avail myself of God's goodness. His goodness to me is giving me uh, the strength that I need, uh, encouraging my heart, uh, giving me the help that I need to live for him, to uh, combat and resist temptation, to pursue holiness, uh, to do the good that he would have me to do, uh, to, to do the right things. So I have access, an ongoing access to God's goodness or God's grace. That's what we mean by that. And again, that's through Christ. Um, and we stand in that and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In other words, uh, I have this sense of confidence for the future uh, because I have this guarantee that is through Christ. So Paul now is going to begin to talk a little bit more about what this will mean in my everyday life, in the way that it affects my attitudes, the way that it affects my actual living. Paul is very much aware of the difficulty of, of life. Now, as Americans, our lives are, for the most part, fairly easy. Even when we go through difficulties, there's a large number of resources that's normally available to us. Uh, our government has a lot of resources. If you're involved in church, your church has resources. We have resources through family, through friends. Uh, so we, so we're not diminishing or minimizing that we, that we suffer because we do. But it is much different than it would be for those who live in what we would call third world countries, or what Paul was addressing when it came to how life was for most people during the time of the Roman Empire. Life was very difficult. Death was very common. Uh, people died at a, what we would consider to be an early age, just as as a just a regular part of life. You know that kind of tragedy was just always there, kind of uh, at the forefront of, of life. Right there, you you're right there on the edge of that. So he says in verse three. So more than that. So more than this idea that I that I have access to God's grace. He says, more than that, we rejoice. So he's, so he wants us to understand that as believers, and because of this relationship I have with Christ, I'm not just trying to gut it out and just wait for death to come so that I can be in heaven. There's, he, he, he's not advocating where there's this sense of drudgery and depressiveness about life. He knows that the suffering is very real. And the tragedy is very real that many of the ones he's writing to face every day. But he is going to talk about how this salvation we have affects our, our attitude, the inner man, uh, you know, the mind, the heart of man. So he says, so again, so more than this standing we have with God, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. So it's a pretty, pretty wild statement. Uh, your translation may say we also glory in tribulations. The ESV says rejoice in our sufferings. So we need to ask ourselves, what does tribulation or sufferings mean when he says that? 
What is he talking about specifically? Well, the word tribulation or the word sufferings comes from the Greek word thalipsis, uh, which means to crush or to press together, to squash, to compress. Uh, the word originally expressed the physical pressure that's on a man. Uh, the idea is kind of like if you were to uh, fill a vat full of grapes and then you step on those grapes, the pressure of your weight crushes the grapes and uh, you know creates juice. So it's the idea of being squeezed um, or being crushed beneath a weight. So the word thalipsis then, or the word tribulation, or the word sufferings that Paul uses here then, he's not referring to mild discomfort. He's talking about, whatever it is, great difficulty. So this is something that severely affects the individual. Um, this word sometimes, thalipsis, can also be used of emotional stress or emotional sorrows, which kind of weigh you down. It's a burden. So uh, if you've recently lost a loved one, or you've recently received bad news about yourself or a loved one, they have, let's say they have cancer or something that um, is quite burdensome because we know what that means for the near future. Uh, so it's something that, that, that you uh, think about a great deal. You can't help yourself but think about it. So this is the sufferings that he's talking about. And you remember, he talks about the fact that we're rejoicing in this. So when we're under this kind of pressure, whenever we feel any kind of pressure, the way that we respond to various situations reveals what's what's in our heart. It reveals really what our character is like. Uh, so let's say on a on a regular day, uh, I'm, let's say on this particular day, I'm feeling no specific pressure. Things are going fairly well, and so I'm let's say I'm I'm driving to let's say I'm going to go to Starbucks to get a coffee, and let's say along the way somebody, you know. Uh, who's who's in the, in the lane next to me pulls in front of me to, to take this exit and I've got to you know I got to break rather hard um, and I I, uh, I don't really get all that upset because my life's going going pretty well um, I get to Starbucks the line is maybe it's long or I'm going through the drive-thru and I'm having a hard time communicating to the person uh, you know through the speaker they're not getting my order that can be kind of frustrating uh, but my life's going pretty good. I'm not really on edge, so I'm, I'm pretty patient. On the other hand, let's say that um, I'm going through some kind of difficulty. There's something pressing on me. Uh, doesn't matter what it is, but I'm feeling the weight of it. So I'm, again, I'm on my way to Starbucks to get a drink uh, in the morning. And let's say that um, the traffic's just a little thick. It's not bad, but I'm not going as fast as I would like to go and i'm already getting very impatient i'm not so much really impatient at, at the traffic itself it's the pressure that i'm feeling from whatever from whatever it is that i'm carrying and then in this situation what's inside of me is coming out it's kind of adding to that and so when i then act impatiently that then reveals what's really in my heart you see a lot of times we can it's not so much that we're playing a game, but you know we we put on our, our we put our best foot forward. We're not trying to be phony, but we're trying to be polite. Uh, we're trying to be people who get along well with others. We're, we're trying to be patient, but the real us. In other words, if if you can be as patient as you want with other people, but you may truly still be a very impatient person, 
maybe even a mean person on the inside. And so when you begin to go through some trials and tribulations, it, it comes, that's what comes out of you. So when we talk about then the change in the life of a Christian, normally what we are speaking about is we're not looking for there to be a superficial change to where you, you change for the moment or maybe you, your behavior changes in certain circles, but your character kind of remains untouched. The kind of transformation that Jesus brings about in our life is that you end up becoming a patient person. Now, you may not be as patient as another believer is, but compared to what you were, you're, you are much different. So it's not that you now necessarily have more control, though you, you should have, but it's more than that. It's you, you are becoming what Christ wants you to become. So here Paul's talking about this pressure that we feel, and he wants to, he wants to talk about how we kind of react to it. So remember that believers have Christ in them, the hope of glory, and therefore we have the potential to exude the fragrance of his life when we are crushed by heavy burdens. That's why often in the lives of, the, of a believer, the way that we are responding to difficulties in life will give great testimony to the reality of the power of Christ. There's an expectation in the world that most people will act good when things are going well. They, they expect us to be patient and kind and all those things. When we're under pressure from wherever that pressure is coming from, and we then still don't respond like the rest of the world responds, but we respond with kindness and patience. Now we begin to look odd to them, or we begin, they begin to look at us in a different way. Like, I wonder what their secret is. How is it, you know, they, let's say they know about what's going on in our life. How is it we are able to control ourselves? And again, it's, it's, even though it's a little bit about control, it's more about what's been changing on the inside of us. There's really, you could almost say there's less of us to control. Uh, because we've become different. So as as uh, as to our reaction to uh, pressure or sufferings or tribulation, three things. Number one, if we merely don't complain or grumble, even if we don't uh, feel we are being dealt with harshly or question our faith, this is not how we are to react. In other words, we're not just to merely not complain. So it's good to not complain, and it's good to not grumble. But if that's all that we're doing as believers, that is not what Paul is getting at. He would say, I'm not, he was not, he would not be happy with that. The Lord is not pleased if that's our only reaction to, to pressure. It is not that we merely just put up with adversities in a philosophical way. Uh, again, it's better than failing, but again, that's not what Paul is getting at. He really wants us to engage life and live life. And it's not that we just resign ourselves and take all of life with a grain of salt. So it's not like we've kind of given up. We, we fully embrace even our troubles. Paul is teaching that we are to rejoice in them. So what does he mean by that? I mean, is he serious? Because what he's talking about flies in the face of how most everybody behaves and acts in the world. So the word glory or the word rejoice that's used there in Romans 
it's, it's, we also have the word exalt. Um, it, it, it was a word with kind of a negative connotation. It was when a person, it was a word used to describe how a person would kind of stick their neck out, but in arrogance, like they kind of, you know, we, you know, we, we have the idea of the person, you know, lifting their nose or looking down their nose at us. They kind of, you know, they stretch their neck. That's the idea of this, that you are a person who has privilege or you have possessions. And so you're kind of bragging. So Paul is not saying that we are that we glory or rejoice in our tribulations in spite of them. And he is not saying that we glory or rejoice in the midst of them. I mean, he does to a degree, but it means more than that. Paul really is saying that we rejoice because of them. So that's a very unique thing that Paul says. It is, it is not what human beings do. What he is stating that we should do, the way we should behave, in a sense puts pressure on us to make sure that we are really growing and changing as we ought to as believers. That there is this expectation that God has of us that this relationship that we have with him is very real. And it has very real ramifications in our lives as Christians. As Christians, we cannot be satisfied with just kind of going through the motions. You know, we go to church and we live our, our lives. We're, we're kind of moral and we're mostly happy. Um, and we mostly deal with tribulation pretty well. You know, we were able to put up with it pretty well. That's not... That's not what he's talking about. He, he really is talking about you and I living a life where there's this joy and, and the joy of knowing Christ. And it's so vibrant, so exciting, so um, encouraging that then in the midst of the, the tribulations that we have, we actually are rejoicing in them or because of them. So there's an illustration from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read to you the first two verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Verses 1 and 2. And Paul's talking about the way that the Macedonian Christians re rejoiced in their affliction, even in the midst of being very poor. They, they were in the midst of great poverty. So this is, this is what he says. He says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. So the key is the grace of God was given to them. That produced this indomitable joy in, in the midst of this great test, this great affliction. And it was a joy that overflowed in love, in, in the way they treated each other, the way they treated Paul. Um, it's a genuineness. It's uh, pretty incredible, to say the least. John Piper uh on this kind of ask these questions that we should think about the question is this number one how are you doing today when things go bad for you so think about the past couple of days this is wednesday so sunday monday tuesday wednesday how's your week gone has there been troubling news or or are you feeling pressure from wherever it comes from and then how are you handling that how are you living in the midst of that it's a very tall order. It's very, very difficult. It's, it reveals to us right away that you cannot fake 
the Christian life. You can fake aspects of it, but not all of it. Because there's this expectation. So, do you and I, as believers, do we rest in the grace of God and experience joy in God and keep on loving people? So there's this idea then that our faith in God is something that we are aware of all the time. That we are always thinking about this relationship that we have with Christ and what it means. It is, for just by way of illustration, um, for those of us who are married, no matter what we do throughout the day, we're married people. I, I'm, I'm married when I get up in the morning. I'm married before breakfast. I'm married after breakfast. When I make decisions, I make decisions as a married man. In fact, because I'm a married man, that that creates a situation where I might make a decision that for a single person might be okay, but for a married person, not a good decision. So I must always think in terms of being married. Now, it's kind of a natural thing when you're married. Uh, you don't have to, you don't have to talk to yourself and say, remember, you're married. Remember, you're married. We don't do that because it becomes just a natural part of our thinking. It, it's just, you know, kind of meshes, coalesced together like this. And so we just naturally, it's just a natural part of our thinking. I'm always thinking in terms of we, you know, my wife and I, I'm always thinking in terms of we. When uh, someone mentions a restaurant, I said, man, this restaurant, they've got a great steak, blah, 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 blah. Okay. I never think in terms of, wow, I want to get there and I want to eat that. What I think in terms of is, wow, I think, I think we, I think we would like that. You know, I, I'm always thinking in terms of me and my wife. Uh, when someone talks about some city that, that, uh, is very exciting to visit, they've got a lot of really cool things to go see. <clears throat> I'm not thinking in terms of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> allergies, sinus drainage, not COVID. Anyway, so when I think about the city, I don't think, wow, when can I get away so I can go there? I think automatically, when can we get away and go there? How are we going to make this happen? So it's automatic. So for the believer then, I am to, to think as a believer all the time. I'm always thinking in terms of God, God's grace, how God wants me to live. It's not, so it's not a burden. You know, it's not something that I have to do. I just do it naturally. Uh, and so as a result of this relationship, if I understand what Christ has done for me, it produces these things in me. That's what Paul is getting at. So do you forget the grace of God when you're going through times of trouble? Are you complaining and becoming self-absorbed and critical instead of loving other people uh, when you go through times of stress? Uh, we, we need to look at that. So remember then that our reaction to troubles reveals that we belong to the King, which is Jesus. But we should also see the promise of our Lord that in, the, that in these trials that we will face, he really is a very present help in our time of need. There's, there's a reality to that. Remember that for the non-believer, and sometimes for believers as well, we still think of our religion in terms of like a phone app. It's just something that I can access when I need it. Um, it comes in handy at certain times. So when I when I need to feel spiritual, I, I pray. Uh, when I feel something is out of my control, then I, I, I pray. I might read the Bible. Um, 
But it's not really a part of who I am, a part of my living. What, what Paul is describing for us here is that when you become a Christian, you have this relationship with, with Jesus, which is, which is a very real relationship. It's based on reality. In the same way that I can speak to my wife every day, she speaks to me every day. I have that relationship with God. I sense my wife's presence every day. By faith, I sense the presence of the Lord in my life every day. Uh, and so, if we take this a little deeper and, and try to think about how this kind of works itself out and how it really helps us, uh, hopefully we can, we can use these truths of this relationship we have with Christ to really affect the way we live, the way we think, our emotional state, uh, and again, the way that we spontaneously react to trials. There comes a point in time when we don't have to think it through. We'll just react correctly um, because of this relationship we have with God. So the desire then is for us to be, to be real. Paul does not want us to be phony or pretentious. He doesn't want us to you know, put on airs. He doesn't want us to become a stoic, unfeeling animal. He wants us to be truly joyful. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be smiling and what we would call visibly happy all the time. Though there are some people who are like that. I have some friends that are Christians that it's just all over their face. I mean, it's, it's just all the time. Uh, so I, I am joyful. I think I'm just as joyful as they are. It's just not my, I don't know if it's my nature or my, or my personality to always be smiling and, you know, that kind of thing. But now I don't walk around like I want to murder somebody, but the idea is, is that we're not, we're not so much talking about our emotional reaction to every day, but there is this this joy, which really is a, it's a deep happiness. So it's happiness, but it's a deep happiness. That's not dependent on my circumstances. It's a very real lasting, energetic, content, contented peacefulness that I, that I possess, that you possess as Christians, that wherever we go, we carry that with us. And regardless of the situations we find ourselves in, that's with us. And so we are then joyful we're not overwhelmed by our circumstances it, it doesn't get the best of us so grace this this because all this is god's grace god's encouragement to us god's strength to us he infuses us with this grace god's grace does not work like magic you know it's not where you just say a couple words and bingo you know poof you you feel happy um it works through truth that's why the word of god is always so central to this the more the Word of God that we read and study and think about, the more that we become different uh, and change. So it works through the truth. Um, remember, Jesus said, you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Set you free from complaining. Set you free from paralyzing frustration. Set you free from a critical spirit. Sets us free from a lot of things. So grace opens the eyes of our heart to the truth. And then it kind of inclines our hearts or moves our heart to embrace the truth and to live by it. So keep that in mind now. Let me reread, to you, reread for you the first five verses of Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So again, we're, we're following two trains of thought here. Uh, number one, the first allows us to see proof that we are in Christ. We, we see this transformation. It's a reminder. It's a marker that, that I am united with Christ. And also, I will better understand what Christ does for us right now. Again, the reality of my relationship with Jesus Christ is he enables me every day to live and, and to act and to react to life in a way that pleases him. That's why so many believers talk about beginning the day by reading or listening to the word of God, spending time with God in prayer. It, it sets you on the right path for that day. It, it serves as, as a reminder that you belong to Christ that you are known by Christ, that nothing is going to happen to you today by accident, uh, that Christ will be with you every step of the way, that Christ uh, demands that you live joyfully, that you live in light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's important then that we understand, I think maybe more so than ever, I, it, it, I don't like always saying that because it's not like it wasn't true 100 years ago and now it's true. Or it was true 100 years ago, but now it's really true. It's always been true of the human being because the human condition has pretty much been the same through all these years. Just, you know, different technology and civilizations, but the human condition is the same. So it's important that we understand how our Christianity relates to reality because that's what people are looking for. People that we know that aren't believers, you don't know what's going on all the time in their life. They're looking for people who are experiencing something real. They are looking for people who seem to know something they don't know, who know the truth. Now, they may not even be able to articulate that, but, but we need to make sure that they don't get the idea that we're just pretending or that we're faking it like they're faking it, just kind of doing it in a religious way. We want them to know that Christianity is not just something that only uh, kind of engages the mind when we think about dying, that it, that it only deals with the afterlife, that it has everything to do with <coughs> excuse me, who we are now and how we live life and how we actually experience life. So we want them to, to understand but by, as, the, as we interact with them that we are living in the here and now. And so Christianity relates to reality. Um, you know, does the claims of Scripture coincide with what we experience? I, I think it does. Is it a real help? I think it is. Does it? Does the Bible accurately describe life and its conditions? I think it does. So the Christian life and the Christian faith will never let us down. There have been many people through the years who have probably said or felt that the Christian life has let them down. They're wrong. It could be that they didn't understand what the Christian life really was about. It could be they really weren't Christians. It could be that they were depending on the flesh and not on Christ. It could be they were looking at the wrong thing. It could be a lot of reasons why they feel the way they feel. But the Christian life and the Christian faith is just never going to let us down. 
Now remember where all this started, where we started our conversation today. And that's again with the word telepsis, which is sufferings, tribulations, or, or afflictions. That, that what Paul's talking about here, again, is not mild discomfort, but great difficulty. So he's not talking about how you react to stubbing your toe as a Christian. Um, and again, remember that this word is also used of emotional stress, the, you know, the sorrow that can really burden you or weigh down a man's heart. So this includes disappointments, which can feel like it crushes the life out of the individual who's afflicted. So again, we're not called by Paul to merely not complain or just put up with adversity philosophically or resign ourselves and take life with a grain of salt. Uh, again, Paul is not saying that we glory in spite of them or that we glory in the midst of them, but again, that we glory in them. So again, these truths affect our thinking, our emotional state, our reaction to trials. H how does it do that? Well, again, we want to make sure we're not being phony. So as I said, grace does not work like magic. So there are several verses to, that indicate that suffering due to persecution, trials of life, trials due, due to our Christian commitment will be the norm. So the truth that Paul is talking about is, is true for all believers. Whether it's persecution or just the suffering of, of a life that's cursed by sin, we all experience these afflictions. Some of us may not have experienced afflictions to the depth that others have, but we all experience it. All of us do. Remember that as believers, we have more tribulation, I believe, um, than the non-believer. I really, I really do think that. I think that uh, our life has more trouble. I'll give an example. Let's say that you find out that, that your, your child or maybe a, a Christian friend is living with someone of the opposite sex. If you're a growing Christian, you automatically feel, now feel pressure because of that, because you know it's wrong. You're concerned as to what it reveals about their spiritual condition. Like, why are they doing that? They, they know that's a sin. Um, do, they, do they know the Lord? Are they walking with the Lord? What's taking place? You, you're concerned about its effect on that person and, uh, and, and others spiritually. In other words, so if they're living in the situation, how's, how is that going to affect them? How can it not affect them? They're living in sin. Then you might be concerned about how God's going to deal with it. Like, you know, is God, is God going to be patient here or is God going to, to uh, deal with them harshly? Um, you might even be concerned about your relationship with that person because you can't condone what they're doing. You, you still love them, but you don't want to send the wrong message. You don't want to cut off your relationship with them. And that may be your final concern is that you're worried that one day you, if you mention it to them or say something to them, they might get mad at you. And they say, wait, you think I'm in sin? And you go, well, you know, Christians aren't supposed to do that. And they, and they get angry at you and say you're being narrow-minded and judgmental and you don't understand and all those types of things. So here's a situation that is not going to cause anybody any grief. But it does for the Christian. So you now have this emotional weight that, that you're carrying around. It's, it may not be great. You know, there's definitely many other things that are much worse than that. But nonetheless, there's a very real pressure that's there. Let me read to you from the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking. And in verse 10, uh, 
This is the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here Jesus says that we are to expect to be persecuted because we are righteous or because we believe in a righteous Savior. He says, it's going to happen to you. Don't worry. You're blessed because you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Then he says, you're also blessed if people are going to mock you, make fun of you, persecute you, make up things about you because you're a Christian. He says, look, you need to, you need to rejoice. You need to be glad about it. Why? Because if this has happened to you now, you are going to be rewarded for that in heaven. Specifically, you're going to be rewarded for having to endure that. And because our time with God in heaven is eternal, our life here is about as long as, as a match is lit when you light a match. It's momentary. And so he is telling us to look to the future, to look to the reality of this, and to rejoice in it. So Jesus is talking about this as being the norm, that it's going to happen in Acts chapter 5. Verse 41, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's a very unique <clears throat> attitude. The disciples of Jesus were physically beaten and told to no longer preach in the name of Jesus. And so when they left there, they weren't angry. They weren't bitter. They were happy. They were actively rejoicing. They were actively celebrating, really, is what, what's going on there, that God would consider them worthy enough to suffer that way. It's a very unique perspective. They're not crazy. They understand what Jesus was talking about. We should understand what Jesus is talking about. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, this is not about blind faith. He's simply telling us to recognize that the outer man, the outer nature is wasting away because we're all under the curse of sin. The inner man, who you are, your soul, is being renewed, is getting stronger. As we go through suffering and persecution, just suffering in general, you know, disease, age, uh, persecution because we're Christians, he, he specifically says it's a momentary affliction, but that it's preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. In other words, the glory that we're going to be experiencing is just beyond comparison. It, just, it can't compare to anything, positive or negative, on the earth. And he tells us that we're going to be able to do that because we look to things that are unseen. Well, what is, what is unseen? Well, I don't see heaven. 
I don't see what heaven's going to be like. I have an understanding based on the scripture a little bit, but that's, that's, I have a small taste. So I'm trusting in what I don't see. It's real. God is real. I don't see him, but it's real because what I can see, everything I see is, is wasting away. But what I don't see is eternal and that's where we're headed. And so that's the perspective that, that now as a believer we can have. Why? Because our sins have been dealt with. Our sins have been forgiven. As a result, we've been given the new life already by Christ. I have this righteous standing with God. Uh, eternal life is a gift that's been given to me. Um, and so I'm guaranteed this place in heaven. And as a result, I understand what life and death is. I know how it is that God wants me to live. I know that part of this plan of God is that I'm, I'm going to have to endure some suffering. Uh, maybe some persecution, but I'm going to have to suffer for sure, just because we live in this world. Um, and but but I know that whatever's going on is just is it's a it's a minor glitch in the whole thing, because I'm going to be with God for all of eternity, and so that is to truly affect me as an individual, and affect my attitude towards all things. Later on in Second Corinthians in chapter twelve, in verse nine, this is what. Jesus said to, uh, to Paul, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. So, so Paul here is, has been asking God to deliver him from the thorn in the flesh. There's different ideas as to what the thorn in the flesh was. Some think it was those who were persecuting him. Some think it was because of some kind of disease he had that he may have picked up that was causing him to have bad headaches and starting to go blind. Others think it may have been something that was causing him to become crippled and stooped over. Uh, we don't know. But he asked the Lord to deliver him from this. And basically, the Lord said no. But he said, my grace, my strength, my favor is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul here talks about taking comfort in the power of God because he's weak. He knows he has no choice. He doesn't have the strength to deal with what's coming at him in life. And he tells us specifically what he's facing. Uh, weakness. We know that, um, again, he was going blind. He was stooped over. He was, you know, he was left for dead several times. Um, so he has weaknesses in his body. Uh, he was constantly mocked and made fun of. There were people who were insulting his intelligence. They were insulting his pedigree. They were insulting his faith. They were insulting a lot of things about him. He had to put up with that all the time. Then just general hardships. Remember, he was shipwrecked. Uh, he had he was in prison a lot of times. Uh, persecution. There was some of these things happened to him because he was a Christian. Uh, he was. Um, People wanted him dead. Remember, there was a couple of stories where uh, at one point, some a group of men swore an oath that they wouldn't eat or drink till they killed him. I mean, who goes through that? And then he just talks about calamities in general. He says, hey, when I'm weak, I'm strong. And he just rests comfortably, comfortably in the Lord. Paul truly was not a super Christian. He was a Christian. What was available for Paul is available to us. 
What God did for Paul, God does for us. How Paul was able to live his life that way, we are able to live our lives that way. Because it's through the power of Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. So Paul writes to the Philippians and tells them, point blank, that it was the will of God that they not only believe in Christ, but that they would suffer. It was in the plan of God that they would suffer, just like Paul did. And he's, he's, not, he's not saying that to them because it's a, a bad thing. It's reality. He sees it as being something that's honorable. And they should embrace this. In the book of James, chapter 1, this is kind of a, an imperative, kind of a command, a statement of what we should do. So James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the idea here is that the believer desires to be faithful to God. We want to remain steadfast in the face of all kinds of trials and tribulations. So James here says, hey, when you, when you meet various kinds of trials or hardships, count it all joy. So this is a, a decision that you make. Okay, so this is not just a, an emotional reaction. You know, emotions are a good thing. We don't live by them. Emotions are to be under control. Doesn't mean you can't be spontaneous. You can be. But our, our emotions are to be guided and directed by truth. And truth comes to our minds first. That's how God's designed us. So when I then think about what I'm going through, what I'm facing, when you think about what you're going through, what you're facing, James is telling us that what God wants us to do is to, when we think about it, to consider our response and to be joyful. Be joyful in this. First Peter chapter four, what did Peter say? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So there's this idea that we identify with Christ as we suffer like he did. And it will be even much more meaningful for us when his glory is revealed. Because when his glory is revealed, you know, we're part of that equation. We, we share in that. It's still his glory, but we share in that. We're part of that. We experience that. We experience the joy of that. Um, I guess, uh, let, let's, let's put it this way. So let's say that you've been adopted into a family. And as you've been adopted into this family, you were adopted as an as a, as a infant. So this is, you know, the family clearly has chosen you and you are part of the family in every way. And let's say that it's a lower middle income family. Just, you're barely getting by, but... You know, you have enough food to eat every day. You have clothes to wear, that kind of thing. And uh, you're, 
you're 25 and your brother he's not your blood brother but you've been adopted in the family but your brother uh comes into some money let's say that that the family comes into some money maybe a a, a relative they didn't know about died and left them a hundred million dollars when when that happens you you share in the joy because you're part of the family you, you you don't suddenly think wow man i know they adopted me but you know i, I guess good for them they're rich now no you you would automatically are going to rejoice with them because you're going to share in that together so that's kind of the idea we are co-heirs with christ when he is revealing all of his glory, we share in that together with him. And so the joy is ours as well. So, we don't want to get the impression that the Christian life is a life of misery. Uh, and that's all that there is to it. Um, because that's not necessarily the case. We don't have to go looking for trials and wear them as a badge. The scriptures don't teach that we should like them. But it does say that we should glory in them or we should rejoice in them. It's a big difference. Around 155 AD, uh, Polycarp, he was one of the early church fathers. He was martyred. Uh, uh, the Christian church believed that martyrdom or persecution was not something that you chose. It was something for which you were chosen by God for. Um, those who were chosen by God to suffer martyrdom were strengthened by Christ who suffered with them. And for that reason, they were able to stand firm. Uh, in other words, they didn't denounce Christ when Christians were being fed to the lions. Uh, remember, there, during some of the persecution, Christians were asked to kiss the ring of the emperor, to make a sacrifice to one of the idols. They did that, then, then everything would be fine. Uh, if, if they didn't do that, they would be tortured or they would be fed to the lions. Uh, so they only had to do one thing. And many, many, many Christians chose death. And so there was this belief, and I believe it's true, that God gave them the grace they needed to face that. And to face it bravely. So their firmness, their faithfulness, it wasn't of their own doing. It was God. God working in them uh, and, and God working through them. On the other hand, there was a, a small problem in the other church for a couple of years. And that is where some people got the idea that this was going to bring them a lot of glory. And so they would purposely put themselves in a position to be persecuted. You know, they would uh, try to find ways to get arrested, you know, for being a Christian. And the idea was they, they wanted to be martyrs and they wanted to be like, you know, they, they heard the names of others being revered because they suffer for Christ and they wanted to be in that group. And so uh, those were called by the early church false martyrs. Uh, and it was believed that Christ would not help them or strengthen them. Now, I don't know if at that person maybe at the last moment realized that they were doing the wrong thing and they asked God to forgive them for wanting to be a martyr for, you know, arrogant reasons. And God wouldn't give them strength. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying in general, that was frowned upon. And so, and they were telling people that uh, if if you've if if you are pursuing this out of your own effort, uh, God's God may not help you. 
And I think that might be true today if you think about it. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're human beings. Sometimes a person realizes that when they go through hardship, they get a lot of attention. Uh, if they're sick or if they just have all these different kinds of troubles, uh, people pray for them. People may give them things. Uh, people may show a lot of concern. And they like that. Maybe it feeds the ego. And so for some people, they, they try to find ways to suffer, whether it's to be persecuted or maybe exaggerate uh, what's wrong with them physically because they, they feed off of this, this attention. That person probably isn't experiencing the deep joy of Christ. They're, they're in it all for the wrong reason. God can see through all of that. So it's just kind of a warning to us that, you know, sin is, is uh, subtle and it's ugly, it's twisted and it's deep. And, and in our sinfulness, we can even take something like martyrdom or suffering persecution or the prayers of other believers and we can twist it into something ugly to feed our own egos. And so we have to, we have to be careful with that. We can't trust ourselves with that. But at the same time, we don't have to be afraid thinking that somehow, oh, I, I don't think I can really handle that kind of misery. I, I don't think I can handle being arrested. You know, and we start to fret. Don't fret about it. Just continue to walk with the Lord. The Lord will supply you his grace. And, and that's what the early church was dealing with. There's a story. Around 300 AD, there were some Christians who were very eager to suffer for their faith. And, and uh, the Bishop of Carthage demanded that those who needlessly rushed into martyrdom should not be revered as martyrs. Uh, and, uh, you know, that kind of sent a message to everybody that, well, if you do that, you know, you're not going to be in the Hall of Fame, so to speak. So again, how does this work? How is it we can glory or rejoice in or because of our tribulations or afflictions? We can glory or we can rejoice in our tribulations because our faith enables us to view them in such a way as to realize that far from working against our hope, it promotes it and it furthers it. And so the one who's living by faith, walking by faith, when they see that they're suffering in that way, they, they recognize that uh, their tribulation will be used by God to promote the Christian faith in the eyes of believers and non-believers alike. A proper reaction to affliction, uh, it's not always automatic. But I do believe that we are enabled by God to rejoice in trials as a result of our applying our faith. Um, the, this comes, I guess, UK, different stages. So the tribulations come. We are troubled. We are unhappy. We proceed to deal with them. How? Well, we are able to deal with them because of something we know. What is this knowledge? It is a knowledge and insight into God's purposes and methods with respect to us. Our faith enables us to follow the argument that Paul lays out. This, in a way, is a testing of our faith. We are able to follow. Uh, are we able to follow this line of reasoning? So, in other words, I'm, I'm going through a time of difficulty. The tribulation come my way. I'm troubled. Now I'm unhappy. And so now I need, I need to deal with this. And so how do I deal with this? I, I'm not looking at my options in the flesh first. I want to look at it as a Christian. But what does God say? What does God say life is going to be like? How does God want me to respond? Uh, what is still true about my life? God still loves me. If I'm, the doctor tells me I have maybe six months to live. 
I want to fight that. I want to live as long as possible. Uh, I'm a little anxious about dying in six months, but I'm not overly troubled because I know that Christ has defeated death. I'm in Christ. And so if I really do go in six months, there's nothing I can do to stop it. But I know where I'm going. That's comforting. God will comfort my heart. I might not have had the strength a week ago to handle that news very well, but I'm handling it today pretty well. What's the difference? It's Christ. It's Christ. Paul here says that we're able to rejoice because we know that tribulation works patience. Back to what we read in chapter 5. He, he said that we're able to rejoice in, in these sufferings because we know it will produce. So we know that God also is going to use these things in our life to produce His character on us. Because that's what God wants. God wants us to be like His Son, Jesus. And so that comes in a lot of different ways. God's going to discipline us. He disciplines us when we sin. But He's also going to discipline us even when we're doing well. To continue to form us and to shape us. To train us to mold us, to become and reflect the character of Jesus. So, I know then that if, as I deal with tribulation, it's going to work patience into my life. Uh, the word work that's used means to perform or to accomplish, to achieve or to work out. Um, it is to do that from which something results. It's a process that works out certain results, uh, works them out in detail, step by step, and produces a final product, which here is patience. So patience is the ability to endure something and remain steadfast. Uh, it's the ability to endure something and really remain unchanged. Now, I don't mean your bad traits. What I'm saying is, is that your, your faith in God is unwavering. As, as you go through trials, patience is built up in you. It works it out. And the result of patience is, is that you remain steadfast. According to uh, 2 Peter 1, 6, uh, 1, 6, he talks a little bit about um, being steadfast. Uh, the idea is that the steadfast believer is maybe heroic. They, they have a brave patience, which a Christian not only bears with the trial, but they contend with the trial. Um, speaking of the patience of Jesus Christ, uh, one pastor said this, Neither was it out of a stupid insensibility or stubborn resolution that he did thus behave, for he had a most vigorous sense of all those grievances and a strong natural aversion to undergo them. But from a perfect submission to the divine will, uh, an entire command over his passions, and excessive charity toward mankind, this patient and meek behavior did spring. In other words, he's talking about what Jesus willingly suffered for us and how he was able to do that. And so he says then that uh, that virtue which qualifies us to bear all conditions and all events with such apprehensions and persuasions of mind, such di dispositions and affections of heart, such external deportment and practices of life as God requires. God will supply our need and he will help us through that. So the questions that we should ask ourselves this evening is we want to make sure that, first of all, we are, we are living out the realities of the Christian life that the truth of the doctrines of our justification is something that affects us emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, and then it will affect us in, uh, physically as well. We want to make sure that we're also living the Christian life in such a way that others can tell that the Christian life deals with reality, that it 
that it has a very real, honest understanding of how life is and how life works. So that then the help that we talk about that comes from God and from the Word is a very real help to us. And it's not just some, you know, mind state that's just kind of a, well, we're, we're pretending to be positive and we're denying reality. We don't want that to take place. We want to be able to embrace all of life, including the trials. So the only way we're going to be able to do that is we can't muster up the strength in and of ourselves. It, it comes because of this deep dependent relationship we have with Christ. When we reach out to Christ, we seek Christ, we want to know Christ as we read the Word of God. We get more of Christ in us, so to speak. And as we contemplate and meditate on the Word of God, God works His Word into our hearts and lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are the things that Paul is talking about. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your goodness and the fact that you're very much aware of what life is like. We pray, Lord, you would help us to uh, look carefully at our lives. Help us, Father, to be able to honestly evaluate where we are as Christians. Give us, Father, the desire to embrace all of life, even those things that are difficult and hard. We thank you, Lord, that the Christian faith is a, is a faith that's built on reality and faces real life head on, and that you really are there to help us. And that the truth of your word, the truth of our future, the truth of our forgiveness, the truth of our position in Christ, that it's all truth and that it has a real effect on us. We pray, Lord, that for those who strive to understand these things, that they will experience the truth of your word and that they will experience the deep happiness that we've been talking about. I pray, Father, for those who have not experienced that, that they would be even a little jealous for it and yearn for it. But Father, I pray you help them to realize that just desiring it doesn't mean that it'll come. We can't get it by pretending to be a good Christian. We get it by coming to you and seeking you. And I pray, Lord, you help all of us to do that and to encourage each other to seek Christ. Again, Father, we ask now that you would help us to meditate on these truths throughout the rest of the week. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.